Well, if you would please, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. We'll just look at one brief little passage here. Expound on it this morning and see what we can apply to our lives. Proverbs chapter 30. And we'll look at verse 7. It says, Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your the guidance of your word just daily, weekly, um, directing us, giving us guidance for our life and direction in our life. I just pray that you would be honored and glorified as we just expound this passage. May we apply these things that we can uh, to our life that we can more glorify and honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been looking in the book of Proverbs at godliness and righteousness. And last week we saw that God is using the circumstances in your life and in my life to produce righteousness, to refine us in righteousness. That's, that's the goal. It's sanctification. But the primary tool that God uses in the life of his believers is those who believe in him is his word. He uses his word to to produce this fruit and sanctification in our life. It's a tool. It's his tool. And that's the primary function of the word. That's the primary role, the major role in the book of Proverbs is to warn. That's how this is carried out. He, he warns us. And that's what wisdom is, isn't it? It's warning and heeding those warnings beforehand, taking precautions before things happen. Before the circumstances in our life go south, we, we are blessed to have truth and heed that warning, heed the warnings of, of truth. We live by faith in this word, in God's word. He is our God and we are his people. We listen to his warnings. Now, in this passage, this is a warning. And there's a couple of things that are unique here. For the book of Proverbs, first of all, this is not written by Solomon. If you look back at chapter 30, verse 1, it says the words of Agar, Agar, the, the son of Jaca, the oracle. Now, now, we really don't know very much about him at all. There's very little. We do know, though, that he was a contemporary of Solomon and that he was a, a seeker after wisdom. He was a sage, we might say look at his writings, we can see that he was a godly man. We see humility here. We see also a rich and accurate theology. I think you'll see that today. And I think there's a principle for us here that Solomon recognized in his own life he wasn't the only smart guy. Now, he was given wisdom from above, but he was also recognizing these other godly men that that had other things to say. And I think he incorporated that into his a book of Proverbs and into the, of course, into Scripture. And he said himself that wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors. But they have to be godly counselors, right? 
Because we can get ourselves into trouble by listening to the wrong people. This is a godly man. He is a man to be listened to. And I think Solomon is wanting us to do that. And he gives us a whole chapter written by Agar. Another thing that's unique about this is the way Agar gives us this warning is through a prayer. Now, that's kind of interesting because this is the only prayer found in the book of Proverbs. Now, we can learn a lot through prayers, can't we? Especially the prayers of of godly men. There's some depth and some richness that is there with a man that is intimate before his God. And just listening to what he says, his priorities, his the things that he emphasizes, his attitude, and just the emphasis there. And, and it's refreshing. And I would encourage you, there's a book of prayers, the Puritan prayers, written 16, 1700s, uh, just a culmination of, of these prayers. It's called Valley of Vision. And I would encourage you to get a copy of and read that. Read these prayers. I read it and it makes my own prayer life seem so shallow. And it's refreshing, like I said, to read this prayer. One of the most significant prayers, I think, in Scripture. We know that Christ's high priestly prayer in John 17 and and Christ's modeled prayer and the Lord's prayer that He gave us. But this is a, a close third or fourth, I think, most significant prayer in Scripture. This is an important prayer, I think. This is something I think that we can learn from. So, so what we have then is a, a warning from Agar. He was a wise man. He was a humble man before God. And he uh, gives us a warning in the form of a prayer. And his concern is money. His concern is money. One of the areas in which we are most vulnerable, I believe, as Christians is this area of money. Because when we pray, especially concerning money, what is it? At least my own prayer. Give me. Give me more. We need more and more and more. Give me this. Give me that. It can affect our spiritual life. And and therein is the warning. And Paul warns us in the New Testament. Paul says that money is the root of all kinds of evil. We have to be careful with it. It can blind us in seductive ways. That's why we need to heed a warning. That's why we we have to have this wisdom here. Now, it's not comprehensive. He doesn't give us a a whole lot about money here. But he does give us one thing. And that's the right perspective. The right perspective. The value of this passage, I think, is the right attitude toward money. And and it can be summed up in one word. Caution. (laughs) Caution. This is a, a subtle reminder, if you will, as a, a, of the importance of, of godly attitude toward money. We need to look at this passage a little bit more carefully and, and see this warning. And here's what I want you to see. Here's the, the point. God's children must be careful to maintain a godly attitude toward money. We have to be careful. Money is, is so seductive. And, and again, I, I think we don't see that. We're kind of blind to that many times, but we have to be careful. And, and the question then that it answers for us is, what is the proper attitude of God's children toward money? What are we to think? Now, without going into a whole lot of depth, we do want to just look at this quick passage. Not the whole breadth of Scripture about money, just this one passage. So, this passage could be broken down in really into two simple 
an outline of just two simple points. The first is just a, the simple prayer request, and then he gives us the reason for the prayer request. And there's some warnings that I want to pull out from this prayer request, from this prayer of Agar to his God. Now, the first one, point number one, is the this simple prayer request. The simple prayer request. Look at verse 7. Let's look at this again. Two things, he says, two things I ask of you, do not refuse me before I die. Now, he's kind of preparing us for these two things, kind of building it up. But I think there's more to it than that. He says, do not fuse me. He's talking to God. He realizes who he's talking to. And there's a a plea here. There's an earnestness, a genuineness, an urgency even. This is a, a major concern. He says, I really want this. And this shows, I believe, it shows genuine character here. I believe it shows genuine righteousness and the desire for righteousness. Now, God wants us to ask from him. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll, I'll give that. Now, we have to be careful. Don't take that out of context. But he wants us to ask. But, but so often, our prayer requests are so shallow, at least mine. Just give me money. Give me more. And it assumes that I know what to do with it. I, I'm smart enough to, to handle God's resources in a gracious and wise way. And I don't find myself saying, Lord, allow me to be careful about money. In such an earnest way. And that's what we see here. This is important to him. This is a spiritual request, not a physical request for money. You would be thinking that he's going to request money, but no, he he doesn't. This is a spiritual request, not a physical request. Now, look at the request. This is a formal request. The first, there's two parts to this. He said in in verse 8, he says, Keep discernment and lies far from me. Keep discernment and lies. This is just the first part. Deception and lies far from me. The word deception there means vanity. It means emptiness or nothingness. And it's essentially the emptiness of, of truth. There's no truth there. He says, keep the emptiness of truth and lies. Keep it far from me. Now, this is kind of a broad categorization here that it can range from the little white lie that we might tell over here all the way to the the false teaching and everything in between the the empty philosophies of this world the the vain imaginations in our own mind and he says keep those things far from me you're beginning to see the depth of this of this prayer he says i only want to operate under the umbrella of truth the umbrella of truth He doesn't want people lying to him, deceiving him, and he doesn't want to go out and deceive other people or lie to other people. That shows, again, character. Character. He wants truth. He wants to speak the truth. He wants to live within those boundaries of the truth. Now, David, that was David's desire too. David said his desire was truth in the inward parts. I like that. Not just superficial outward, uh, just speaking to truth on the inward parts. That's a whole philosophy. That's a whole uh, the perspective of life. Solomon himself recognized how true, how rare truth is. Solomon says, he says, buy truth and don't sell it. That's how important truth is. And uh, folks, we live in, in a, an information age and, and we, we, 
we just take everything. I mean, Google, how much more truth do you want, right? You just Google it and you get the truth. Folks, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Our truth is right here. It is Scripture. That's what we adhere to. That gives us the right perspective on life, on God, on ourselves. And this prayer is for truth. This prayer is for a life of truth, integrity, and character. This is a a deep prayer. Let me ask you this, just by way of application. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Have you ever prayed? I I had to ask myself that. I don't think I've ever prayed, Lord, Lord, let me live and understand and walk in truth. In truth. Let me have the right perspective of God and let me have the right perspective of myself. And and all of the issues of life have the right perspective. Is that your desire? Is that your desire? It is so easy for us to just walk in the emptiness of the world's philosophies. And just just live our lives as though there really is no truth. But there is a truth. The second request here. In the middle of verse 8, he he goes on. So he asks for truth, essentially integrity in his own life. And then he says in the middle of verse 8, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now it seems like he's, he's just completely changing the topic, changing subject here. But we'll see that he's really not. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that it is that is my portion. Now, he's not asking for money. He's asking for what? Moderation. For moderation. The sufficiency of money enough to, to avoid the extreme of poverty and the extreme of unnecessary wealth. And... In mind, he's got this big warehouse that God has. It just paints a picture for us. That, And God has all of the food that we will ever eat in our lifetime for every person that will ever live. And he says, I just want my portion. Don't give me somebody else's portion. Just give me my portion. And it kind of reminds you of what Christ prayed, doesn't it? This day, my daily bread. We'll look at why he, he gives this request in just a minute. But that's his request. This is an intimate conversation between a righteous person and his God, the creator God. And and I see genuineness here. I see that he is concerned and and that he knows himself. And and this is a genuine request. This isn't haphazard and he's not asking for money. He's putting some caution out here for himself. And there's two major requests for truthfulness, for integrity and character uh, in his own life, but also the protection of that character. Because money has the potential to come in, sweep into our life, and endanger our own character, endanger that truthfulness, endanger that integrity of our our own life. And, And there's a major concern here, and that is money, having the right perspective, having the right attitude. Now, this is a godly man. He is just cautious. Uh, Folks, I see myself, I rush in, and and I just assume that I've got the wisdom to know how to handle money, know how to handle the things of life. And I just say, Lord, give it to me and and I'll be good. That's just not the case. This man, his heart is exposed here, and it's a wonderful prayer, and he's genuine before the Lord. And here's what we see. Here's some theology behind this prayer. 
This is a request. Think about this. This is a request from an inferior to a superior. This is just the, the low, lowest of the low. He's, he's just begging his God. That's the picture here. And he's exalting God. This is good theology. He's exalting God's sovereign, sustaining, omniscient power over his universe. He's recognizing that God, it comes from you. I recognize that your hand is in all of this. And then we have understanding of his self. Complete dependence upon God. Complete dependence. Humility. Submission to God. He knows the human heart, doesn't he? He has a right to be concerned here. He doesn't trust his own flesh. There's no confidence in the flesh, what Paul would say. And there's, a, there's still yet a, a hunger for righteousness. His desire is simple. He just wants to please God. And that preempts everything else. He wants to please God. And this is no shallow prayer. This is rich, deep prayer from rich, deep theology. And I think there's a principle there. This is a spiritual giant. Let me give you a warning here. There's a couple of warnings, three, three warnings actually in this passage that I want to... The first warning though is this, that prayer, and we can throw worship in there as well, cannot do no or go no deeper than our theology. I think this request reflects this man's theology. It really does. He has a high view of God, a low view of self. He has an understanding from the right perspective, complete dependence on God, humility. That's just good theology. And there's some depth about his prayer because I think there's some depth about his theology. And I think that's the principle. And we could throw worship in there as well. Folks, our worship will never go higher than the ceiling. If we don't have some depth of theology of who this God that we're worshiping is. Our prayers will never go above the ceiling unless we understand who this God that we're praying is too. And they'll just be shallow. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Just continue with shallow prayers. Lord, do this. Spring is coming. Groundhog's Day. That means we'll be going out and trying to pluck up the dandelions in our yard again, right? It's easy to do that. It's easy to pluck up a dandelion. Some are a little tough, but you want to get the roots, right? You want to get the roots. But you don't go and just pluck up a, a, an oak tree. Why? Because the roots are too deep. We're too small. This is a deep theology that reaches, and this prayer reaches to, to heaven. It's not like a, a shallow dandelion kind of prayer. And let's just apply this quickly. Do you evaluate yourself before God? Are your prayers designed? Do you come before the Lord evaluating yourself? Do you say, Lord, help me to see the, own, my, uh, the cautions that, that I need to have in my own life? Or, or do we find ourselves lacking depth? Who is this God that we're even talking to? Do we have shallowness in our prayers because we have no depth in theology? And then a, another this application, do we see threats to our spiritual life? Do you ever see money? Did you ever see that? Uh, that money is a threat to your spiritual condition, to your spiritual walk. Do you ever say, Lord, protect me from these things? Uh, protect me from pornography. Protect me, Lord. Keep me from that gossip session. Keep me from the, the cheating. Keep me from the laziness. Keep me from the idolatry. 
Keep me from those things. Is that your prayer? You have to know your own weaknesses, don't you? And you have to know this God that you're talking to and you come before God and you're honest with God. That's a, a deep prayer, folks. How often do you pour your heart out before God? How often do you pour your heart out before God? I have to ask myself that question. We must have those times of honesty before God, evaluating ourselves before the God of the universe, evaluating and then just pleading, Lord, don't even lead me into that temptation. Wasn't that Christ's prayer, what He told us to pray? Lord, lead us not into temptation. That's a good prayer. So, so you see the request, but the question is, is, why is this request? Why is this so important to this guy? That gives us the reason, and we, we have the reason in verse 9, and we see two things. It's just danger. There's danger here. Danger of wealth and also the danger of poverty. Look at verse 9. That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Now, let's just stop right there. The word full there is to be satisfied or to be sated. It's like a sponge that is just bulging with water and you just poke it in and it just overflows. It says, I don't want to be too full, he says, to the point that I deny God. That, and the word literally is to deceive or, or to... Um, and, and actually the root root comes from a growing lean. I don't have the depth in God anymore. I don't have the, the dependence upon God like I would. And there's a, a shallowness there. And, and money reveals, folks, money reveals our priorities. It reveals our values. It exposes our heart. Why? Because it's just an extension of who we are, isn't it? That's what money is, just an extension. Just like our words just come out of our heart. Our actions that come out of our heart, the money and the way we use our money just comes out of our heart. And many times it reflects bad character. It reflects a lack of character where there should be character and it exposes our heart and, and that's what money can do. And, and he says, maybe I, I'll deny you if this, if I, I'm too full, too satisfied, I'll deny you. I'm not going to depend upon you anymore. And I'll say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? And that just exudes pride, doesn't it? In fact, it's, it's one of the most arrogant statements that we never say out loud. We don't say that. We don't go around saying, oh, who is the Lord? Now, maybe Goliath did, didn't he? And he was you know, coming up before uh, uh, the children of Israel. Who is, the, who is God? We don't say that out loud. But in our hearts, sometimes we, we puff ourselves up and we think, who is the Lord? Christian, there's a danger in wealth. This is the warning, isn't it? Christians who are wealthy are in danger of becoming independent of God. We think, begin to think, independent of God. We can become proud, he says, and forget God or ignore God. And we have to be careful. This whole philosophy, this is a false view of reality, isn't it? And it really comes from Satan. We think we're all of that. We think we're pretty good. This is more than just arrogance. It's condescension looking down on God Himself. This is a developing a, a false reality. This is not true. This is not living in truth, is it? 
This is minimizing the Lord. This is ignoring our dependence upon God. This is saying, God is not really God. I'm a contender. We would never say that. But sometimes we think that in our, in our life. Oh, I can do it on my own, Lord. Now, I don't need you. I can be God of my own universe. I did it my own, by myself. I, I can do it without the Lord. I can, I, I'm not dependent upon Him. And it's a high view of self and a low view of God. That's exactly what it is. We have to be careful. We may not say the words, but sometimes in our hearts we could be like King Nebuchadnezzar who looks out over his palace and he sees all that he had created and he says, look what I have done. Or we can be like Cain and be mad at God. Or we can be like Adam and say, I know best, I'm going to eat of this. And God warned the children of Israel, the kings of Israel. He said, don't amass the wealth because it will turn your heart. And so often we say, no, I can handle money. Just give me more. It's the wrong perspective of money. And, it's a, and it yields to a, a, a sinful flesh that says, me and mine and I know best. And I, I, I. That's the idea. So the warning, let me come back to the warning. Your wealth can cause you to think independently of God. Independently of God. And let's look at just some applications of this very quickly. Don't trust yourself. We cannot trust ourselves. We cannot trust money. We have to trust God. And if it takes me being a little poorer than I should be, for me to continue to be dependent upon God, then this author, this prayer is saying, Lord, let it be. So be it. I would rather be poor if I'm going to deny you. And then a number two, an application. What is your heart's attitude toward money? You know, when you don't have money, you tend to just think that's the answer for everything. And it's the the give me, give me, give me. And it's just, again, it's a very shallow view of, of everything. So many little things, folks, can cause our heart to be lifted up before God. Cause our heart to be a little proud, prideful. Look what I have accomplished. So you see a danger inherent in wealth. But there's also a danger in the other extreme, and danger inherent in poverty. There's another warning for us. Go back to verse 9. That I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want. That idea is so much so that I take possession. I want. There's a desire there. I need an inheritance kind of idea. And steal. Essentially break God's law. I I don't trust God to depend on me. So I've got to circumvent that. And I've got to break His law. And I've got to do something that would disgrace Him. And it says, And profane the name of my God. Profane the name of my God. That just essentially it's take the Lord's name in vain. Essentially what it is. You're taking on, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a child of God. I take on the name, but I do it falsely. It's just misrepresenting and and spoiling God's reputation. There's a danger for the poor to not trust the Lord. There's a danger there to step aside and say, let me just take matters into my own hands. And that's, that's the idea here. And then both of these is not so much, if you look at the author, what he's saying is not so much an offense to man, 
But it's an offense to God. How does this, how does my attitude toward money, how does it affect God? Not so much just man. How does it affect God? We can act independent of God when we are so poor. And he says, don't let me be in that situation either. He doesn't want the glory of God to be diminished in any way, especially in his own life, in his own character. So here's the warning third warning there we must not take on the name of god and disgrace that name with a character that is inconsistent with the god with god's perfect character we take on the name of god and we act inconsistently with that name that's just vanity what do you say we have a situation today uh, the royal family in england kind of got everything up in a tizzy Uh, Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, and uh, Meghan Markle, they want to leave the royal family. Why? They don't want that responsibility. They don't want to take on that name anymore. They want to just act like none of that exists. They just want to set that aside. So often, folks, I think we just want to set the name of God aside because it's too weight of a burden. I don't want that responsibility. But when we take on the name of Christ, it comes with a responsibility. We cannot steal. That goes against God's character. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. So then we pray, Lord, Lord, don't make me poor. Don't make me poor to the point that I just forget about you and, and just decide to take matters into my own hands and I steal and profane the name of God. My God, he says. So there's a couple of applications. Let's do this. Recognize that both rich Riches and poverty have their own danger. Recognize that, folks. The, the poor, they just want to be rich. And the rich, they, they sometimes just forget about God and just kind of go their own way. Folks, we pray for moderation. <laughs> pray for moderation. Why? Because it makes us dependent upon God. That's it. It just makes us dependent upon God. And there's a warning. There's a caution. We have to be careful. Money is a danger. Money is a danger. Another application is just, what is the biggest danger in your spiritual life at this time? Just evaluate yourself. Just think about that. Is it money? Or is it the lack of money? It can cause many, many problems. There's a danger in wealth. There's a danger in In poverty. So we have to have a caution. And I think that's what the author is doing here. What is the proper attitude of God's children toward money? It is caution. It is danger. And it's a a self-evaluation. It's looking at ourselves. Can we even handle what the Lord has given me? And then we go to the Lord. Lord, just give me my portion. Give me what uh, what I need and, and no more. No more. It's not, give me, give me, give me, give me. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. That's just a prayer of shallowness. It's a prayer of shallowness. On the money that we have, in fact, if you take out your bulletin, on the the picture of the bulletin, there's on the front of the bulletin, it's a $1 bill. It's a close-up, and it says what? In God we trust. And every time I read that statement, I, I think, 
Do we really? Do we really? Or has money come to the point in our life that we don't trust God anymore? We trust we trust money. Money is the is can be the, the useful. It can be a great good from people with good hearts, but with people that have corrupt motives, and and it'll reveal your motives. It can be the the greatest disgrace, greatest disgrace on the church, the greatest disgrace upon the name of God that we can give. We have to be careful, folks. Now it sounds like I'm preaching to you. <laughs> But I'm not. I'm preaching to myself. I really am. I wish that I could stand up here and say, you know, do as I do. But folks, I get just as scared. Tax season coming along. Are we going to have enough? And then those times of uh, feast. And, I, and, and it's just so easy to think, you know, I can do this. We've got this. And we put a little confidence in our flesh. A little confidence in me? And I think, how foolish. We have to have a right theology, a right understanding of self, right understanding of God, a right understanding of the issues of life. And that's our prayer, isn't it? Lead us in truth. Don't let us be deceived. Don't let us deceive. Keep us in this umbrella of truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray... That's my prayer, the prayer for my life. I pray it would keep us in truth, living under the umbrella of truth. And Lord, this church, that it would be from the perspective of a right theology, a sound understanding of God and ourselves and the issues of life. Lord, help us to, to live about truth, walk in truth, work it out in our life. Lord, I thank you for the truth from God's word. It is an absolute truth, a truth that we can depend upon. It's not like the shallow truth that we have today. Lord, may we honor and glorify you with our wealth. You have blessed us. Not one of us really are in in deep poverty. So, Lord, it's always a temptation to just look and say, Lord, we don't need you anymore. Father, I pray that you would guard us from that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.